Welcome to PSQH the Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talked to Dr. Eric Eskilu of Novon Health about using technology to build a patient safety infrastructure. Now, on to the interview. Hi, this is Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. I'm joined today by Dr. Eric Eskilu, Chief Medical and Scientific Officer at Novant Health. And uh, welcome, sir. Thank you, Jay. Happy to be here. All right. And we're going to talk about um, Novant's safety strategy and sort of how it's how it started and sort of where it's where it's grown over the last couple of years. Um, so I guess we we just start off with um, if you could tell us a little bit about what you do at Novant and sort of how um, how Novant's safety strategy started off. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I've been in my current role for a little over uh, two and a half years. Uh, as you said, I'm the chief. Uh, uh, medical and scientific officer. Uh, so safety and quality falls under me as well for all the patient care and our team members. Uh, I do have a background, uh, unusual background in aerospace engineering. I used to work at Boeing. I used to be uh, uh, aerospace engineer. So that's my where my first love is for data and analytics. And we're trying to bring all that uh, into healthcare. And uh, so uh, we've been at it for a while now. Uh, one of the proudest moments I have is we've been able to really score very high and leapfrog uh, rating system, which is the external rating for all the hospital systems that is done by uh, an external uh, third party vendor. And uh, we currently have in the last rating period, we've had 11 A's and two B's and the B's are very high B's. Our goal is to get to uh, all A's in all of our healthcare system, but we're not done there. Uh, we wanna reduce the uh, serious safety events to zero, and we wanna reduce the hospital acquired infections down to zero. Uh, I know a lot of people are gonna be skeptical about that, but you know I've seen it done in the aerospace industry in the time I was in there 25 years ago. And you know when you look at it currently from serious safety events in this country uh, in a year, in healthcare, we lose about equal, equal about uh, equivalent about uh, two plane loads of people crashing every day from wow. serious safety in healthcare today. So I can't imagine the public flying planes if we still had that much error rate in plane operations. But unfortunately, we've been tolerant to this kind of uh, hospital-acquired infections or serious safety events in healthcare. And it's time we stop it, and we are going to get there with. Uh, uh, data analytics, predictive machine learning, and artificial intelligence. So really excited about the future. Um, that's great. And what was what was sort of the uh, pivotal event that led this effort to begin? Was it sort of just a, um, you know, were you just looking at the data and, and, you know, found that there was room to improve? Or was it just sort of a, a general decision to improve things? What, what, um, what sort of led to this effort? Yeah, I think uh, it's both on a professional and personal side. Uh, my father, who was a physician, unfortunately passed away uh, two and a half years ago from a medical error fall, uh, fall at the hospital. And you know that has led me to really accelerate this. And being on the other side of the bed is a very humbling experience for physicians. We're used to being on the physician side, but once you become the family advocate and you're on the family side, it's a totally different lens, which unfortunately I had to face. So I feel for every one of our patients. And you know, I wanna be proud of the institution where I can, you know, I get my healthcare at our institution. So in a way, uh, you know, we do our own cooking, and, but we are not afraid to eat it as well. 
I, you know, my family, my wife, my kids, my 81-year-old mother, she gets her health care here. And I want to be able to uh, probably bring them to our healthcare organization, not worrying about, you know, causing them ill will because of what we do, but trying to get them treated and get them better. So that was the biggest impetus for me, both personally and professionally. And, you know, we want to be the best in the country and the world as far as safety and quality. And the other angle I look at is as we improve safety and quality, as we get better, our healthcare costs will go down. And as that happens, we'll be able to provide more healthcare equity and more access to patients that really don't have that opportunity right now. So it's multifaceted. Thank you. Um, so how did you get started? Well, first we had to organize the teams to get used to uh, working in data environment. Uh, first, we had to make sure that we uh, captured our data well. And electronic health records have become ubiquitous. It's in every healthcare system. But the way I look at it is, it's like a, a woolly mammoth uh, frozen in a glacier waiting to be unlocked. And so we have so much data we have accumulated over the years in electronic medical records, but we haven't put it to good use. So the first step is teaming up with my uh, phenomenal counterpart, Angela Yoko, who's our chief transformation and uh, digital officer. And she came about the same time I did to my role from a completely different industry. But you know, working with her has been a tremendous experience because I compliment her as an engineer in some of the technology part, but mostly in the clinical side. And she tremendously brings a huge value from the technology uh, component. And by doing that, we're able to create a, a data lake for all of our providers and for all of our analytics teams. And you know, getting to that culture of data took a while to get used to. Uh, just like the uh, Kubler-Ross stages of grief, we went through five stages of grief. But we are at the stage where we've accepted it, we've really loved it, and we want to move on with it. And I think one of the uh, also the proudest moments is I've been able to get a lot of our physicians excited about data and artificial intelligence. This is a field that's going to boom. I have seen more acceleration in artificial intelligence and in healthcare in the last three months that I have seen in the previous uh, five years. So it's a really exciting field to be in. Um, and what you know did you start with a, a certain area um like infection control or were you kind of starting all across the board in terms of uh, you know looking to build improvements yes we started with uh, uh hospital acquired infections and we felt like you know we have a weekly group that meets with hospital uh, you know all the hospitals where the infections happen we go over each patient with their names with their age we humanize this and uh and we tried to figure out what could have been done and what kind of uh, you know, uh, precautions we can take, especially using data and analytics. And I'll give you the example. Uh, I know we're going to talk a little bit about SwipeSense. You know, hand hygiene is a very important component of hospital-acquired infections. In this, year, in this country, poor hand hygiene contributes to about 1.7 million, that's million, hospital-acquired infections annually, and about 100,000 of those people lose their lives just from poor hand washing. Right, right. So before the pandemic started, we decided to team up with SwipeSense, uh, which is electronically monitoring somebody's hand hygiene. And uh, you know, uh, the old technique is having somebody monitor you, one of your teammates, at least one or two of your teammates monitor you and report back that you washed your hand and you've done a good job. 
you can see that there's a lot of interdependent variability, inter-rater variability. And also, uh, it was just serendipitous that we started this process before the pandemic. And you can imagine during the pandemic, it became even more important to us yeah. because we didn't want our team members hanging right next to each other with the risk of getting infection. So we've automated the system. We're in the process of rolling out to our entire healthcare system by the end of the year. Really, really excited about this. And this has made a big difference in our hospital-acquired infections. We've driven it down over 40 to 50% over the last couple of years. And uh, on our serious safety event side, which is the you know never events that we don't want them to happen, uh, we had already had a close to 80% reduction from 2013 to 2017. During the pandemic, we've driven it down another uh, 41%. Just think about it. during the wow. pandemic, we lowered our serious safety events by 41%. Now, we're not done. Uh, you know, my job will be done when I report to you that we haven't had any serious safety events and it, it's accomplishable. The way to do that is, again, having, uh, you know, really good data and being able to predict these falls before patients fall, being able to predict sepsis before they go into sepsis so they don't die from it. Uh, so a lot of this is really exciting and just really excited to be in this place. Um, how were you able to get staff and leadership to buy into this plan? Uh, so I approached it. Uh, I approached it from the safety and quality angle, and we knew that we had driven our hospital acquired infections as down as much as we could, but we needed to get to the next level, and the next level was automating this process and also increasing the staff's time rather than watching their team members wash their hands, spending more time with the patients, focusing on what matters the most. And you know, to be honest with you, to our CEO's credit, he's been a champion of artificial intelligence. Carl Armato is our CEO and president of Novant Health. And from the beginning, he's been an incredible champion of uh, machine learning, predictive analytics, and artificial intelligence. And he's given us the resources to move forward with this. And he's seen the returns, uh, both uh, in the uh, you know patient satisfaction side, both on the hospital-acquired infections and serious safety events. And again, this translates to lower healthcare costs. You know, when somebody gets infected, when they stay over at the hospital, somebody pays for it. We all pay for it. When somebody gets hurt, we all pay for it. And by reducing these, we're actually making healthcare more equitable and more accessible. So proud of those results. Yeah, and so you started with infection, reducing infections. Um, you know, when did you start to branch out to other areas like falls and other, you know, serious safety events? Well, we started branching out to one of the areas we branched out to, uh, one, you know, we, we worked with SwifeSense, but we have currently at least 10 artificial intelligence projects in healthcare going on in our organization. And I would say at least half of them have matured to a point where they're starting to show a lot of returns, just like uh, we talked about SwipeSense. Another one we've done is VizAI, which is stroke. One of the things we've suffered is stroke patients didn't get timely treatment, uh, like heart attack patients did, because it's hard to diagnose stroke. So we've gone into a module where we have tele-neurology taking care of stroke patients across our entire footprint, but we layered artificial intelligence with VizAI, where the stroke is detected on the CT scan while the patient's still in the CT scanner. Everybody gets the notice on their smartphones, so there's no communication gap, which we had in the past. 
Uh, and the patients, on average, we've been able to save about 10 minutes of uh, stroke time. We've been able to lower the treatment by 10 minutes, and that equates to about 32,000 brain cells a second, which is about 19 million brain cells. That's a lot of brain cells. Yeah. And it's time. Uh, so you can imagine the patients are much better uh, you know, equipped to go home, have a much more meaningful quality of life. We've reduced the length of stay by a day. And so all of this, and one of the things I'm proud about the stroke care we're giving is we've leveled the playing field. What I mean by that is it doesn't matter if you're in uptown Charlotte getting a stroke treatment by our teleneurology and artificial intelligence vis AI or rural Elkin, North Carolina, you get the same treatment, same protocol, same outstanding results. So we've been able to extend this into rural communities and be able to provide health equity to communities that don't have that kind of access. And moving forward, I think that's what artificial intelligence is going to do is really level the playing field so you don't have to live in a metropolitan major city to get the best healthcare. We should be able to extend it with uh, with telemedicine and with artificial intelligence to rural communities that don't have that kind of access currently. So that is really exciting to me. And now, and like you said, you you, you started it uh, at Matthews Medical Center, is that correct? With the- uh... We did, and you know, you, you'd you wanna know, Matthews will, is and continues to be one of our best uh, medical centers in, in the system, in the country. They've had uh, leapfrog A scores over the last five scoring periods. Uh, they are a five-star hospital. They're one of the best in the country. They've been recognized by LeapFrog as one of the top hospitals in the country. But we said, you know what? Let's pick Matthews because they already have a great, uh, you know, story for safety and quality and see if we can get the results even better. And we have. That's where we start out as a pilot project. <clears throat> and, excuse me. One of the things we believe as a, as a team is, you know, this is probably my engineering background. We like to uh, fail fast. Uh, so we like to do a lot of projects that are pilot projects that are really promising. But if we fail, we'd like to fail fast. So for the next project, we had a lot of learnings and we become successful on the next one. And luckily, this turned out to be succeed fast. And uh, so it ended up to, uh, being a really good result. And we've gotten so much better even at Matthews, which you would think is one of the top hospitals in the country. Uh, Matthews Medical Center, but we've taken safety and quality to the next level and improved all of this by switching to SwipeSense. And how many other um, hospitals and other facilities are in the system that you've experienced? So currently, currently, we have uh, 17 hospitals in our system, and we're looking forward to implementing this and getting this active and live in all of our system hospitals by the end of the year. Uh, you know, we, we actually continue to implement even during COVID because we've seen the benefits of that. So we actually, believe it or not, accelerated the implementation of SwipeSense, especially during the depths of COVID, because we knew that electronic hand hygiene monitoring was even more paramount than having team members observe, especially when we had PPE uh, shortages and we were worried about team members getting infected with a six foot distance, six feet distancing requirements. So we accelerated that during that pandemic. Um, what kind of learning curve was involved uh, in terms of, you know, staff learning how to use the technology and the new systems? I can't overstress to you any AI project we undertake, uh, we want uh, to over communicate. Communication is paramount. 
And so we over communicated this multiple, multiple times before we started this project. Uh, we got with the physicians, the nursing staff, the leaders all familiar with this. And again, we did a pilot project that everybody believed it was working really well. But communication is the key. And the other uh, thing I would tell leaders who are in healthcare who are looking at AI projects, don't try to boil the ocean down. Pick things that are easily attainable and that will make a big difference in our clinical operations rather than picking in areas that might be a little bit more controversial and harder to implement. So we try to go things that make a big difference in our patient's safety and quality, but also improve the lives of our physicians and nurses. So get, they get to spend more time taking care of patients and working with patients and less time on the mundane routine tasks that can be done just like uh, hand uh, hygiene monitoring. So, so they picked it up pretty quickly in terms of oh, just yeah. learning how to use yeah. the, yeah. Yeah, and we have a very, I, I, I'm really proud to work at Novant Health. We have a very progressive uh, physician nursing culture where we embrace technology. Uh, now, I can tell you, we don't embrace every technology. So there's technologies we look at. On a given day, both myself and my counterpart, Angela Yocum, probably get bombarded with at least 10 AI companies and projects. And I can tell you, we're very selective. Uh, out of uh, the you know companies we see, we probably choose uh, less than 5% of them to work with because we have the experience and know-how knowing that these are the ones that's going to really provide value first to our patients, then to our staff. And I think, you know, uh, it's almost like biking. The more you do this, the better you get at it. And the better you get at, uh, you know, predicting which company will be a better partner for you and which might be uh, the theme to go with uh, the future of healthcare is. Um, you mentioned your aeronautics background. How, can you tell me a little bit more about how that sort of translated um, you know, to your, your role now and sort of, you know, how that's benefited you as you've rolled out these projects? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I first started, and this was a, many years ago, back in 1989, when I started aerospace engineering uh, uh, coming out of school, you know, if you remember, we used to have plane crashes. Uh, there was, it wasn't much, but we still had them. And God forbid, I think with the exception of Boeing 737 MAX, uh, you know, disaster with not having enough artificial intelligence and autopilot not being perfect, we haven't had much plane crashes over the last 10 years. And that's because of the improvements. And I've seen that improvement uh, in the aerospace technology. Uh, and I wanted to be able to apply that to medicine. You know, if we can do it in aerospace, why can't we do it in medicine? Uh, we can send people to, uh, to space safely now. We don't worry about uh, big, any big disasters. And uh, one of the things I learned in aerospace engineering was um, there are a couple of things I learned. One of them is you have to work as a team. And, uh, you know, Boeing at the time was very much into embracing Dr. Deming's philosophy of uh, total quality management. So you encouraged everybody to improve their working environment and come up with ideas how you can do that. So we encourage that with all of our teams. Uh, but again, the culture of safety and quality was bar none. Uh, and it still is an aerospace industry. And I think we need to emulate that and be able to bring those ideas. Um, again, I'm very data uh, driven, very analytical mind, and you know, love what I can do for healthcare in a small way, being able to help uh, my colleagues and patients with encouraging them and getting them excited about data and analytics. Why do you think it's taken so long for healthcare to kind of adopt the same kind of principles that, you know, 
the, the aeronautics industry and other industries have done? I think it's been culture. Uh, you know, healthcare has been traditionally very insular and we haven't had as many external forces. Uh, that is changing rapidly uh, with the advent, unfortunately, uh, as terrible as COVID-19 has been, the silver lining is, uh, is that it accelerated a lot of the moves that would have taken us another five to 10 years to get to. You know, we've seen telemedicine being adopted. Now I call it virtual care. Uh, telemedicine seems old to me. We've seen remote patient monitoring being adopted. We're going to probably switch into uh, ambient intelligence in the next couple of years for patient care. So a lot of things, and I think the biggest thing is patients have realized that they can engage healthcare in ways they have not been able to do that before the pandemic. So the patients are demanding this now. You know, it's been driven by not only by the physicians being able to see what all of these new technologies can do, but also coming from the patients saying, I didn't realize that I could engage with you with virtual visit and have just as good of a satisfying experience as I did in-person visit. So it's coming from both sides. Now, the other thing is, you know, I was just looking from uh, ACGME, uh, American College of Graduate Medical Education, uh, that we're going to have about 150,000 physician shortfall in the next 10 years, 150,000. Uh, currently, our medical knowledge is doubling every 72 days. In the next two years, it'll be every 30 days, just doubling of our medical knowledge. You can see a recipe for a big storm coming with shortage of physicians. We already have a huge shortage of nursing. Everybody right. knows about that. And now, the medical knowledge doubling every 30 days in the next couple of years, there's no way a human mind or a person is going to be able to keep up with all this. So we're going to need artificial intelligence as much as anything else. And my advice to physicians are, uh, I can reassure you, artificial intelligence is not going to replace physicians. But I'm certain that physicians who use artificial intelligence and embrace artificial intelligence are going to be so much more effective and efficient than the physicians who resist it. They're going to be the ones that replace those physicians who do not embrace artificial intelligence. And one last thought I want to leave you with. Uh, you know, a lot of us have gotten used to our cars where we have ambient intelligence, right? Uh, where we have a lot of sensors uh, that collects the data around the car. Uh, I actually uh, depend on it. I'm still on a driver's seat. I'm still on the wheel. I control the uh, wheel. But, uh, you know, this gives you an indication. If you're switching lanes and there's a blind spot, you don't see a car, you get a beep. If you're coming out of your driveway, there's a cat in the driveway, it stops. We got to stop, start applying that kind of ambient intelligence to our patients, whether it be taking care of patients at home, or at the hospital. What I mean by that is AI really takes care of patients' data right now. We're looking at patients' data and how that affects their healthcare. But the other field that's going to expand rapidly over the next couple of years is ambient intelligence, where we're going to look at the data surrounding the patient, their environment, whether it be a fall risk at home, whether it be temperature at home, whether it be any movements they may have. So how this affects the patient's healthcare and uh, you know, environment is going to really dictate how we take care of that patient. So that, that'll be coming soon. It's kind, of, it's kind of impressive that we already have that technology for our cars, but we don't have it for our patients yet. Yeah. And it's coming though. I can reassure you it's coming. Um, yeah, that's great. Uh, so you, know, you mentioned sort of the potential shortfall of doctors and nurses. Um, how do you deal with that? Obviously, you've got to, you know, you know, worry about 
you know, stuff on the technology side, but obviously you, you still need to have people in there, uh, you know, physically in the hospital. So how, how are you, you know, kind of uh, dealing with that? Well, I mean, we got to automate a lot of the mundane tasks that they do that could be automated and that are not critical thinking, right? We want the doctors and nurses to do the most critical portion of healthcare, which is critical thinking and decision-making and judgment. But most of us have turned into data entry clerks. And, you know, a good example is Nuance that was just recently purchased by Microsoft, very smartly so. You know, that has the ability to transform us. While the patient and the doctor are talking, using natural language processing and using artificial intelligence, it can turn that into a note that's really, uh, you know, viable. And the doctor doesn't have to spend time, extra time going back and typing up a note after he has or she has their visit with the patient. So that's one example. Uh, you know, anything that reduces the, uh, the automated processes that doctors do, any bureaucratic burden, if we can unload that to artificial intelligence, then we'll have a lot more time for physicians. And look, we all talk about physician burnout. One of the reasons for burnout is all these mundane tasks that the physicians do that they don't like doing. And I didn't go into medical school and become a neurosurgeon so I could type uh, my office notes. But we have to do it, otherwise we can't get it done. But if these tasks are automated, I believe that you're going to have a less physician burnout, less retirement, and more job satisfaction. And when you have a happy physician, you have happy patients. And so that's going to really translate into a lot of good stuff. And you know, if you look at healthcare, that's probably one industry that we have not gained any efficiencies over the years. You, any other industry you look at, semiconductors, anything, you look at, they've gained efficiencies over the years. That's why they've become cheaper and more effective and more efficient. Healthcare is the opposite. We've lost efficiency and we continue to lose efficiency and we need to bring that back into healthcare. How long do you think it's going to take for those kinds of changes to really take take hold and, and you know, th that burden to be reduced for physicians? I mean, it's happening as we speak. And I tell physicians, uh, if you look at healthcare today, as we speak, today is the slowest change of pace you'll see in your lifetime for the rest of your life. <laughs> it's happening rapidly. And, uh, you know, I expect these to take hold in the next couple of years. I mean, I really think that, and a lot of them are already in there. You know, we dealt with it during the pandemic. We depended on our predictive modeling for patient flow. We used predictive modeling and uh, artificial intelligence during the pandemic as a system at Novant Health. Our cognitive group designed a seared model, and we could see what our peaks and troughs were going to be, and we adjusted our PPE, we adjust their staffing based on where we thought uh, the peaks are going to be. Interestingly, each market peaked at a different time for the COVID-19 pandemic. We weren't uniform. You know, our Winston-Salem market peaked earlier than our Charlotte market peaked. When Charlotte market went down, Winston-Salem market peaked again. We had the same thing in Northern Virginia. And we were able to shift around our ventilators. We were able to shift, a lot, shift around our pharmaceutical supplies based on all this predictive modeling. It's already here, but it's going to accelerate in a great way. And I think you're going to see more and more applications of this in healthcare. Nice. Uh, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about the asset tracking system. So asset tracking is important to, you know, uh, this is one of the things that SwipeSense allows us to do. Uh, you know, in the, in the US alone, <laughs> we lose about, this is all healthcare overall, $4,000 worth of equipment 
per per patient every year. Just think about it. Four thousand dollars worth of equipment gets lost somewhere, and it it doesn't get found. Uh, SwipeSense allows us to track these assets electronically, so that's another benefit. Now it doesn't have a direct patient care component like the hand washing, uh, hand hygiene component, but guess what? It does have a direct lowering of cost. If I can save $4,000 per patient in equipment loss in our system and track them more effectively and don't reorder that equipment, that's lower cost for patients, lower entry point, and more access to especially the most vulnerable population. That's great. Well, Dr. Eskiglio, thank you so much for joining me today. This is a fascinating uh, look at uh, a lot of changes happening in your system, and uh, hopefully uh, uh, everybody else will be following suit. Thank you, Jay. It was a pleasure. You have a wonderful day. All right, you too. That wraps up episode 34 of PSQH, the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. You can find more information about the podcast and listen to on-demand episodes on the show's page at psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again, and stay safe.